Welcome to Online Chapel at Washita, where seating is not a sign and attendance will not be taken. And now would you give a warm Washita welcome to our host, James Taylor. For this week's episode, we're going to hear from some of our Washita University counselors. These staff members help students walk through many aspects of life and mental health, including issues of grief, anxiety, social family conflict, premarital counseling, depression, and more. We know students, and really all of us, are walking through this season as individuals, but also in a a new, strange, spread out, but also still connected kind of community. We may be stretched, but we're still together. This season and these changes have affected all of us. So we want to pull from the valuable resources of our university counselors for them to share some thoughts on how we can all take steps towards healthier living. We're now joined by Dan Jarbo, Sue Poole, and Keneal Purifoy, uh, who work in the university counseling office. Thank you all so much for being a part of the Chapel podcast. And I wonder if you would each just take a minute to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about your background. All right, well, I'll start. Uh, this is Dan Jarbo. Uh, I've been at... Washita. This is my 12th year, uh, finishing up my 12th year here at the university, and uh, working in the counseling office has been really delightful. I loved it. I love the people I work with, and uh, also do ADA 504 accommodations here. Hi, I'm Sue Poole, and uh, I've been working on campus with students part-time for about four years, and prior to that, I worked in a variety of agencies, mental health agencies, the church, hospital settings, residential settings. So um, I've had many years uh, working with all age groups, really, in counseling, but I really love the time I've had on campus. Yes, um, I'm Keneal Purfoy. I'm the newest member of the of the group. <laughs> I'm university counselor. I've been, this is my first year counseling here at Washita. Um, I graduated from Henderson State University um, and I was able to have some experience with working with uh, substance abuse and addictions, working with in a kind of a doctor office setting. So I got a chance to really uh, practice with various age groups uh, through those practicums and internships. Um, and then uh, along with this, I'm also the resident director over at Anthony Hall here on campus. And I am just very, very blessed and honored to be here at Washington. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you all so much for all taking time to uh, talk about an important topic. Uh, mental health has been uh, on a lot of people's radar in higher education for a number of years, especially over the last five to ten years. Uh, and so even before this uh, situation with the coronavirus and people having to leave campuses all across the country, mental health was already a major issue. And we know that your roles are incredibly important to our students' health. I wanted to start by asking uh, Dan to ask for you to share a little bit about uh, your experience with uh, isolation and advice you might have for students that are now dealing with the separation from Washita. Uh, Dan, you had experienced a, a long period where you had to be isolated for health reasons while you fought cancer. Um, and though that was different, you know, you were isolated while the world kind of continued on. Uh, this is something that everyone is experiencing and kind of in the same time, but in different ways. Was there anything that you learned during that, that time about dealing with isolation that you thought would be helpful for students who feel isolated and separated from their community now? 
There certainly was. You know, I will say how grateful I was during the fall 2019 semester when I was home to know that things were in good hands. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much confidence I have in my coworkers here, Sue Poole and Camille, and uh, for much of, uh, well, for all of the uh, 2019 and 2020 semester, Sharon Jones as well, who's a licensed professional counselor, has been working with our students. So there was a bit of relief that I had that I knew that um, even though I couldn't be there, that the students were going to be well cared for and uh, treated with the, the greatest of compassion and, and Christian biblical perspective and, and professionalism. Uh, and I still feel that way. It's, uh, it was a great comfort knowing that they were here uh, helping students. But I, I was at home alone for most of the day. So, uh, you know, I got up, uh, everybody else went to work, and uh, I spent the day there by myself. And at first, you know, it was I wasn't feeling well because of the chemo, and so I was slower moving and trying to adjust to dealing with feeling just nauseous and ill all the time. So I, I didn't have as much sort of focus in my mind on uh, well, how am I going to deal with this isolation. But as time proceeded, it was pretty clear that uh, this being sequestered and, and isolated alone was not going to be an easy task. So there really were four things that I will say that I, I learned through that and suggestions I'd make to students who are dealing with isolation. The first one is that there just isn't any substitution for talking and interacting with other people. We have to have it. And even though we may feel like we can't do it, I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I was told I, I did need to be around other people because of my compromised immune system. And so it was difficult, but we have to have talk or time to talk with other people. And so I want to encourage students to, to make phone calls to your peers, to do video chats, FaceTime, uh, conversations with friends every day. Try to figure out a time that you can do that. Obviously, it's not going to be the same as if you're seeing them in class or in the stew or uh, in chapel and things like that, but you just have to do it. You have to make time to interact with other people. During the time I was home, I talked a lot with uh, family members, relatives. Uh, they called me, siblings, you know, calling and talking briefly to my wife at work. I had to reach out to people and other people were reaching back. And so that, that was really very, very important. I cherished those opportunities to talk with them and interact, especially if somebody dropped by the house. That was just quite a, a huge gift for me. The second thing that I found really important that I would say certainly applies now as well is get outside. Don't allow yourself to develop just cabin fever where you're confining yourself to your room alone and not doing anything. Get outside, go for a walk, take a hike somewhere, mow the lawn, anything at all to get some sunshine and get a little bit of uh, exercise. It will help your mood tremendously and help you feel not so isolated. Yeah, it feels like on those rainy days when you can't go outside, it makes 
it makes the whole this, this whole season a little bit more difficult. It is. Even if you can just sit outside on a porch or someplace where you're protected from the rain, that that's pretty helpful. Just getting out of wherever you're you're feeling stuck and, and going somewhere. The third thing that I did that was really helpful for me is just trying to develop a schedule. I set an alarm for myself on when I was going to get up, even though at that time I didn't have a class to attend. I didn't have a work schedule that I had to meet. I still needed to have a very set schedule for myself of when I got up and what I had to do. I had a to-do list for myself. That's really important. Too much idle time and time alone can be pretty deflating and, and drain our mood. And so I had to have things that I was trying to accomplish. And for me, that's kind of the fourth category here is be productive. I had to have things to do. I had to have things that I was trying to do during the day. And certainly with school, students have that. But um, that was very, very important for me that I didn't just sit around feeling like I was doing nothing and accomplishing nothing, contributing nothing. You know, I asked my wife for a to-do list uh, almost every day, something that I could do around the house and get done so that I uh, felt a sense of purpose. That's very, very important when you're sequestered alone and that you're active in doing things. So I think those are probably the things that were most valuable for me. Uh, and I think many of them apply, of course, to our circumstance now. Yeah. Do you, uh, I'm curious if you remember your first time going back to church and being able to worship in the same room with, with your local church. Do you remember going back to that after, after your long time? I do. In fact, at first, um, I, I sort of had to stay away. Of course, my immune system way it was, but as my immune system got better and better, I was all excited the first time I got to go back, but I wasn't able to go back normally. I would I would arrive late uh, so that I wouldn't be interacting with a lot of people in the lobby and go in, find a place to sit in the back or in the balcony, and then leave early so that I wouldn't, again, have to do as much interaction with people. But it was still wonderful just to be there, just to be involved. And uh, so I would really encourage students to be involved in uh, any kind of uh, virtual uh, church they can do, or uh, you know what we're doing now, chapel, mm-hmm. uh, refuge, anything at all that gives them a sense of uh, that they're uh, learning, they're nurturing their spiritual life, things like that were pretty important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of wonder if you know. I think some people are worried that maybe people will do virtual church, and then when we can go back, they'll be happy to just stay home and watch. But I kind of wonder if it's. <laughs> I kind of wonder if it's the other way. If if after doing the virtual stuff for months and months, people are going to realize the the value and the reality of being in the same room with people, hearing their voices, seeing you know seeing faces and body language, and we'll actually recognize that there's a value to that that can't be completely replicated through you know live streams and video chats. Absolutely. Well, another part of this with students being isolated and every everyone's in different scenarios is that I, I kind of wonder, sometimes students may feel isolated, but also at the same time and in the same house, they may feel cramped. They're isolated from their college community that they're used to being with in the semester, but now they're back home and they're living in situations that they weren't planning to live on live in for long term. And they're with the family members that they love, but also in a situation that wasn't wasn't planned. 
And Sue, I wondered if you might have some insights into this as we think about students who are now back home and dealing with new stresses and relationships. Uh, And our students are used to being home often for Christmas breaks or summer breaks. But in those situations, they're not taking classes. And now they're home and it's not a break. They have school. Uh, Maybe they're being asked to help with younger siblings who are home. Uh, Maybe they're being asked to even get a job and to help with income. So what are some ways that you might, some advice that you might give to students on how they can best communicate with their parents and their family about the expectations of them living at home right now? Yeah, it really is uh, a challenging time. You know, going away to college changes uh, the student. It changes you. Even one semester as a freshman really changes you. Uh, You get accustomed to making your own decisions. You like that. You like deciding how you're going to spend your time, kind of that feeling of being your own boss. And as you said, visiting home briefly for a holiday or a weekend is one thing, but being stuck at home uh, during the semester is kind of an entirely new experience and entirely different. And um, I can remember how frustrated I would feel sometimes visiting home from college. I felt like I was regressing and becoming my 13-year-old self again. And That doesn't feel good. Nobody wants that. And, you know, as a parent, I can say that even parents seem to easily kind of default into full parental mode Mm -hmm. when they're with their children, no matter what age they are. So you kind of have a, a perfect storm there. So one thought I had is that, you know, while, uh, you're going to college and that changes you, um, you're leaving home changes life for your parents. So students, You may not realize this, but as much as your parents miss you, it's also in many ways actually liberating for them when you are away and in college. Hmm. So when you come back into the home, parental instincts and responsibility kicks in for them. And now your parent has to kind of reincorporate you into their daily lives. So you had been less visible before. I hate to say out of sight, out of mind, but it's kind of true. Hmm. Um, So parents are challenged as well. And having to go back to a time that they thought they were, it had maybe they had outgrown as well. So anyway, my point is you're uncomfortable with having to give up your freedom and that being your own boss. And your parents also have had to accommodate having another person in their care and another person in the home. So if you keep those things in mind that everybody's challenged When you're working out the details of living at home, it just helps to kind of try to understand each other. So Mm -hmm. I thought of a few ways that you might try to make the best of it. And uh, one has to do with just try to be understanding, try to shift your view of your parents away from your most negative automatic reaction. In other words, when your parent asks you to do something that you feel is imposing on you or not respecting that you have class to do, your automatic reaction might be, oh, you're treating me like I'm 13 and, and you know, you get really huffy about that. Instead, if you try to assume a more neutral interpretation, you know, maybe your mom is asking you questions or asking you things because she needs help or she needs information to keep the household flowing, not because she wants to treat you like you're 13. Mm-hmm. So by shifting your own assumption about what's what the interaction is about, 
that can help you be a little less annoyed, a little less defensive and improve the communication. Mm -hmm. So that's one idea. So I think, you know, another thing is to really see this time of quarantine as a chance to work on uh, shifting the tone of your communication and your relationship with your parents to uh, a more adult-like communication. I mean, that should be happening naturally anyway. And so, you know, you kind of think about this as some laboratory time to practice that, to try to practice uh, being two adults communicating about their mutual needs instead of a parent and child uh, in a tug of war. Another thing I would say is uh, that all of us, uh, no matter whether we're the parent or the child, can practice pausing before we react. You know, if you feel automatically put upon by your parent expecting you to help with your siblings or do extra chores or go out and get a job and still do your college classes, just pause and breathe and realize that if you overreact to this with a lot of protest or rebellion, that you've actually slipped into acting like a 13-year-old again. And so that's not going to feel very good to you, and it's not going to go well. I would say ask your parents to work with you on a plan, to try to plan together how to get all the work done. You know, invite them to collaborate with you on how to get this to work. If you, I think if the student shows some flexibility where they can, you know, with being willing to help out in all the ways that they can, then, then when they have to tell their parent what they can't be flexible about, in other words, they have to be at class at a certain time, then I think that makes the communication go well, go better maybe. Yeah. And I would say last but not least, try to find some humor and some laughter. Lighten up, you know, uh, laughing at ourselves and our situation always helps us to find hope and to get through the tough times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, all of those things, they're part of this, this period of extended adolescence or young adulthood where I think just in general, if this situation weren't happening, our students are trying to figure out, all right, how do I honor my parents respect my parents, but also become a little bit more independent. That doesn't all happen at once. Uh, usually, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 it grows during college and, and through sometimes in the twenties. And so it's a, it's a hard period normally. And then you throw people back into their home life for a longer period than anyone expected. And I can see, you know, what you're saying that w we can revert back to maybe how, how we thought things went before the person went to college. Keneal, kind of connected to that, I wanted to ask you about, you know, anxiety, stress, um, the worries that we have. And we've all had moments where we've felt overwhelmed at times. And I think I've heard from students who just, they have days or maybe a week where they just feel overwhelmed by their online responsibilities, work, all these things we talked about with Sue. And then they've got that academic stress of tests and papers and assignments uh, so finals week is coming up. Well, this will be aired on the Tuesday before finals week. And for some, they may be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but others might be feeling kind of more pressure. Do you have any practical ways that you would you would recommend for students to deal with that kind of drowning feeling or the stress that they might be feeling uh, overwhelmed with? Yes, uh, most definitely. Um, of course, I'm kind of fresh coming out of college myself. And so I definitely can 
you know, have some some sort of understanding of, you know, how that feels of having that, that drowning feeling of feeling overwhelmed with just so much to do, so much that needs to be done. And sometimes you may not be where you would like to be um, academically, you know, with your grade point average and things of that nature. But there are some practical things that um, I believe would be very helpful. And some have already been stated by um, Dan and Sue, of course. You know, one thing that it doesn't seem like it would relate to academic performance, but it actually does. And that's just doing your best to eat well, you know, doing your best to find or, you know, digest food that equips your body with nutrition, you know, finding food that is going to help you to have that energy to that, that, that energy to, to study and to um, perform well on your assignments, um, something that's going to help you to do well um, when you're even taking tests or preparing for a test or even just preparing to study, just being able to intake food that's um, going to be a good, healthy diet that will help you on your stress levels. Um, something else is exercising. Um, and I, I know Dan mentioned that about, you know, getting outside and, and get some sunlight. There, there are many at home exercises that um, you can do um, even in the, even in home in in the house. There are many exercises you can do outside. Of course, YouTube has plenty of videos that kind of lays out some good at home uh, workout routines. Um, and so, exercising just kind of helps to produce those endorphins in our brains. Those what we call those feel good chemicals um, in our brains, and that just kind of helps us you know, to uh, perform well um, physically, mentally, it helps us emotionally. So um, exercising is is very good. Um, something else is to make sure that as much as possible that you're getting enough rest, getting enough sleep. And I would even want to add just productive sleep because too much sleep, of course, isn't isn't good for you. And then not enough sleep is not good for you. So trying to find that balance um, would kind of be the goal and the key there of how much sleep you actually need to, you know, perform well, sleep that would help you to be focused and uh, stay attuned to uh, the homework assignments and studying um, and things of that nature. Something else very practical is to, you know, try to find a new hobby. Uh, maybe it's painting, maybe it's drawing, maybe it's now that we're kind of coming into this springtime, maybe it's Maybe try something like gardening or, you know, maybe you just want to start taking pictures or, you know, something of that nature. You know, picking up a uh, instrument and just trying to learn something new, you know, kind of keeping yourself kind of active, kind of just helps you to uh, kind of have that energy, be motivated to do something, but also help you to kind of take a break from focusing so much on your studying and things of that nature. Of course, we mentioned earlier about just staying socially um, engaged with people, you know, talking on the phone, FaceTiming, or um, if it's Zoom or however that outlet might be, just staying socially connected to, you know, your family, your friends, and, and even your professors. Just keeping that communication with your professors um, is helpful as well. And asking questions to your professors if something doesn't make sense, that kind of helps to kind of decrease a little stress that, that you might experience. 
even talking to your professor about, you know, maybe uh, something wasn't quite, you don't quite understand the concept of what maybe they're asking for um, or something like that. So um, those things always help to kind of help lower that stress. Um, something else, too, is just to try to make a plan for day to day kind of things kind of be as organized as, as possible if you can and and just kind of uh, have some prioritization um, in that scheduling for each week um, you know like time for studying time for you know working or time for family time self you know having that self time for yourself um, just kind of having that plan and mm-hmm. uh, being able to prioritize um, what it is that you have to do and what you uh, feel like you need to do for yourself. And then, of course, just trying to, you know, think positively. Um, I know it's, it's very tempting and very almost pretty easy to, especially in this kind of context of situation that we're in today, um, is to kind of think kind of negatively about things. But just as we are able to uh, almost kind of train our brains to be negative. We can definitely train our brains to kind of think positively as well. And so something that will really help is like positive affirmations to yourself, you know, and just, you know, I am relaxed or I am calm or I can handle the situation or um, no matter the obstacles, I will rise to the challenge or, you know, just some kind of positive affirmations um, that you can say to yourself. Other practical things, of course, is, Listening to music, preferably classical music for that's been shown to really help uh, reduce stress. Um, But listening to music, you know, meditation, mindfulness kind of things, uh, breathing exercises have also been shown to kind of help to decrease stress as well. So I hope I hope that's a range of of practical things that uh, you can try at home or you can do that will kind of help your academic performance and academic stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you named those, I just thought of a number of times where from the act of just going out and going on a walk, how that's helped me to feel better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those basic things have, have often helped me personally, you know, get through these times. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about eating, like we talk about comfort food. Uh, it's kind of ironic that that food that we go to for the emotional comfort is often not the healthiest. It's not the, it's not the food that really sets us up to continue to be healthy it's a quick fix. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't help us out long term to be healthy. Uh, but all those things seem pretty, you know, pretty basic and practical, but really important. Um, pretty disappointing to hear though that that bag of Doritos I was thinking about is probably off the table now. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about those nutter butters and cookies and things too, you know? I just yeah. love those things. <laughs> Well, I, I just want to go, if I'm having a bad day, I want to go and get some French fries from whatever fast food place is closest. And that never, you know, never ends up being a good, good idea. No, well, it's I, okay as long as you have broccoli for supper. Okay. You just got to balance it out. You know, all right. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good balance. <laughs> well, to follow up with that a little bit, uh, if you have any, you know, resources that students can go to. I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to share in terms of maybe websites or articles, things that we could even share and link to on our social media pages. Do, do any of you have uh, additional resources for anxiety that you'd like to share with students while they're at home? There's quite a few different uh, resources that are listed on our counseling webpage. If students go there, 
at www.obu.edu forward slash counseling. There's a tab where they can uh, click for resources. And uh, there's, um, I'm thinking, two or three uh, good ones there related to worry and anxiety. Uh, well, I, I found a couple of apps that um, I was just kind of trying out to just kind of see if these would be helpful. And I did find two apps. Um, one of those apps is called Sanvelo, S-A-N-V-E-L-L-O. And um, it's actually free. The, the company has made it free for anyone that would like to um, sign up for it. And it is it has some very good information um, and has some very good kind of techniques it has some logging and some journaling in it and uh it's, it's really has some really good variety of things that would uh, just be helpful and this is right in your phone if you you know would like to have it as an app another app is called mind shift m-i-n-d-s-h-i-f-t mind shift and it's um kind of similar to the um Sanvelo app, um, but it's a little more simpler um, than that one. But it also has some very good tools and very good um, information as it relates to, you know, anxiety and um, the different kinds of anxiety and worrying and just things of that nature. So I thought I would just throw them, throw those out too. Yeah, thanks for sharing those, and we can link to them as well on the on our uh, social media accounts. Well. Sue, I wondered also if you wanted to share any thoughts, especially maybe for our students who are seniors, who are on top of everything, they're also grieving the loss of their final semester on campus um, and the closure that they would have kind of naturally had with a normal graduation. And I know that a lot of our seniors particularly feel disappointed in how their time here uh, of the spring semester, how it was shortened. Do you have any thoughts on that kind of how they can best deal with that with that grief and with that loss? Yeah, you know, I think grief and loss, those words really fit what's happening in their life because this is the loss of something that was extremely important and something that we all had expected would would be there and now it's not. And I suspect when the when COVID-19 stole their senior semester that most of them initially felt like, "Wait, what just happened?" And then as as you realize what happened, you begin to feel a real wide range of things, fear and sadness and anger. And so, you know, as uh, a student, especially a senior, if you're feeling kind of clueless and upset and angry and even sort of guilty and regretful, then I would say welcome to grief land. Mm. Um, There's no way to grieve well except to just live through it. And there's some things that you can do you can keep in mind that help you uh, go through grief land. First, I think um, you can watch out for what story you tell yourself about this situation and make sure you aren't being unnecessarily catastrophic. It is a bad thing. It is a loss. Um, it is a it is a difficult time. But when I say catastrophic thinking, you know that's the kind of thinking that dwells on the oh, no, oh, no, oh, this is so awful, I can't stand it. I think it's more productive to try to move yourself to think in terms of the facts you know and the things that you don't know and what to do in that situation. For example, 
you might say to yourself, I know that COVID-19 has changed the job market and I don't know yet exactly what job I'll start with once I graduate. I know that I'm going to get up every day and work at something. So that kind of thinking, you know, where you just try to focus on on what you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't choose everything about life, but you can choose how you're going to think about your life. And so to avoid that catastrophic thinking, I think is helpful when you're dealing with uh, grief and loss and um, the real pain uh, of those losses. I think it helps to name your feelings and validate your feelings. You know, the circumstances are truly difficult and it's and you aren't flawed for feeling all these things, the anger and the sadness and the sense of loss. Um, It's difficult circumstances. And I think it helps to validate that this this hurts and it's hard. Along with that, to be kind to yourself. Um, look for ways to allow yourself to experience some joy, even in little things. Take take breaks from worrying about the future. Take take breaks from this pain. Be kind to yourself. Another thing that I think is important when you're going through grief is to practice some gratitude. To be consciously grateful for the good things that you that you had, and just and the good things you still have. And the good things that are yet to come can cause a a shift in your brain. It helps to move you away from misery and toward contentment, even contentment in a difficult circumstance. Uh, It can protect you from from becoming depressed and embittered um, through the loss experience. I think um, on a real practical side, I would encourage uh, seniors, senior students to try to make a plan with your family to celebrate your graduation. If possible, do it on May the 9th, the day that you were supposed to celebrate this. Get dressed up, um, make a little speech about what this day means to you and what this accomplishment means to you. Have someone hand you a certificate and hopefully a graduation gift. You know, eat a celebratory meal together. Do whatever you can to mark the day and make it special and make it stand out. Go ahead and have your graduation on May the 9th. Don't let that day pass by with nothing. I think that could help you uh, to mark it in some way. Those would be my suggestions. I think someone said uh, grief isn't some evil force that's only there to cause you pain. I think in the end, grief leads you. Um, a lot of times to an even deeper place in your life, a truth about your life, uh, a truth about what you value and about what you need. And I think, you know, that that's sometimes the the gift, I guess, that we get from grief that we don't expect. But um, it is really a tough issue. And my heart goes out to um, all the seniors, especially. Yeah, and those, that's helpful, too, I think, especially the idea of students making that day special. Everything that we're doing right now, we're having to do differently. Church, work, school, and graduation. Uh, though we hope that there'll be some kind of celebration as a community in the in the near future, it's interesting to think that students should still really mark that, that Saturday as special. You know, Scripture also tells us that we grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We grieve as people who have hope. 
And one thing I've loved about that verse is it doesn't minimize or ignore grief. It says that as Christians, we still are people who grieve, and it's okay to do that. But it also recognizes a difference between the way that, that Christians grieve and the way that much of the world grieves is that we have a, a hope that helps sustain us through the grief and helps us walk through it. And so I wondered as we closed today, if you had, uh, if any of you had thoughts that you want to share, maybe a message of hope that you would like to, to share with students who are listening to the podcast. Well, the thing that comes to my mind really is that this is a, a time in their lives that they will remember for the rest of their lives, this pandemic across the globe that affected every culture and every place. And yes, this is filled with a lot of difficulty, but they're also going to look back and be able to tell their kids about this difficult time and the things they learned in the middle of this. And, uh, you know, the, the things that they learned on as far as how to cope and uh, some of the, the challenges that came with that and how they grew from it. There's an idea in mental health that's really important called post-traumatic growth. And it's the growth that sometimes and often comes in the life of a person who's been through something really traumatic, how it changes them. And the same thing is true even this, though this might not be a terribly horrific traumatic experience that people are going through. It's still been life-changing and uh, very un, unanticipated and uh, so and, and, and very challenging. So I think that there's going to be a lot of growth that we all can look back and say that we've experienced if we see God in the middle of this and realize that he has plans, he has a way he's going to teach us, thinks he's going to develop and mature us through this challenging time, uh, and anticipate that. Keneal or Sue, do you all have a, a word of hope you'd like to share? You know, the first thing when, when you asked the question was that, you know, life, life is still worth living. And I know that in the midst of our, you know, present circumstance and situation that sometimes it's like, you know, I don't quite know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what I can't figure this out. And when we can't figure something out as humans, it just bothers us on the inside. Um, but I think that um, just an encouragement that, you know, life is still uh, worth living. And especially for us that truly believe um, in the Lord Jesus um, and that he has risen from the dead. And it just really makes me think about two things. Uh, the first thing is that in Psalm 37, there is a verse that the psalmist says that um, I, and I think we can definitely draw some encouragement from this and some hope is that um, he said, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. And, and I think that that is such a great encouragement um, that the Lord is faithful and um, he has always been faithful and he will continue to be faithful, um, even in the midst of a troublesome and precedented time such as this pandemic. And uh, the, the second thing that I, I thought about was this hymn that we um, used to sing when I was coming up. And it's a, a old Baptist hymn. And it just simply says, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, to heal and to forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. So that's my encouragement that life is still worth living because we still have a God that's on the throne. Jesus is still Lord and our best is still yet to come. And that's my encouragement. That's a good word of encouragement, and those are great lyrics, and I think I'm going to have to play a little bit of that song as we close out this episode. Thank you all so much for taking time to join us today. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thanks, James. That clip is the Cleophas Robinson version of the great hymn written by Bill and Gloria Gaither, if you want to look it up on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get music. For our current students, if you would like to reach out to any of our university counselors, they're available for you still, and you can find all their contact information and other helpful resources at obu.edu counseling. And that brings a close to this episode and to our spring semester of chapel. Washington Campus Ministries will continue to share resources for your spiritual life throughout the summer on social media, where you can find us at OBUCM on Instagram and Twitter, and OBU Campus Ministries on Facebook. Thanks to all of our guests this semester, including today's Dan Jarbo, Sue Poole, and Keneal Purifoy. Among the many people who have helped out with the podcast, we want to thank Noah James for the use of his music, and the Rogers Department of Communication for the use of their studio. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and I hope to see you in person again real soon. Look for